Great. Well, uh, so it's uh, New Year's Eve today. How did that happen? You know, it's hard to believe that this is you're in the last hours of 2017. You know, Christmas Eve was a week ago. And I was asking Ralph, how come we're not even singing any Christmas carols today? <laughs> you know, Christmas is over. It's behind us. It's in the rearview mirror. It's crazy, you know. And, you know, and New Year's, is, it was great. I thought Carl did a great job just in sharing in communion. And, and uh, I was really, you know, amazed that the Spirit just made it fit in with what I want to share. But, um, you know, as he talked about thinking about new beginnings or, or endings of old stuff, uh, you know, many of us will make New Year's resolutions, right? Some of us will intentionally not make New Year's resolutions, right? <laughs> you know, yeah, I just have a little bit of advice as a freebie. You know, don't make too many. The more you make, the less you keep. You know, so just say the less is better. And if you're going to make some New Year's resolutions, make them God-centered. You know, think about maybe I'll read my Bible all the way through this year. You know, maybe I'll pray every day. But that's it. That's it for New Year's advice. Because, you know, I'm not going to do a lesson today about... New Year's decisions or resolutions so you can all have a sigh of relief here, right? <laughs> you know, I thought it would be much more fun to focus in on something that I think is Jesus' biggest gift to us. The gift of hope. And I'm hoping that I can use this right. Nice. <laughs> you know, so when you think about hope, you know, the desire, the expectation of obtaining something, of fulfilling, you know, the ability to expect something with confidence, you know, holding on when there's nothing else in sight. You know, we as New Englanders, right, we experience this kind of hope, don't we? You know, something that really came to my mind, you know, about having this kind of hope was this. <laughs> you know, because... I have to really confess, you know, a little over a year, less than a year ago, I was extremely hopeless. So at this point in time, they're probably very close to this time. I, of course, we were watching the game. I had the, the DVR on and going. And at that point, you know, I turned off the DVR because this is a game that I'm never going to want to watch ever. And so my faithless, I turned it off. I was really sulking. I was like, this is just miserable. They're not going to come back. And of course, you know, not only did they they come back. Well, actually, I guess someone was telling me that ESPN, you know, does this this sliding scale about, you know, who's going to win. In, a, in lifetime in the game, so I, I don't have ESPN, so I don't know about that. But they said at this point in time, it was 99% chance that the Patriots were going to lose. It was about as hopeless as it could possibly get. You know, of course, they came back. You know, the worst thing was the next day, Jeanette and I said, let's sit down and let's watch the game. Because I thought I'd turn the DVR back on when it got better. So we watched all the way through until I got to this point where I turned off the game. And that was the end of my recording. So not only did I have to, you know, have just this incredible adrenaline pain of this point, but then I got to relive it the next day or so, which, you know, with none of the upside, none of the recovery, none of the confident expectation. Oh, it was awful. So, you know, so you know what it's like to be faithless, right? Was anybody here faithful at that point in the game? Well, Zach didn't, didn't. Zach was rejoicing because the Patriots were losing. But besides that, so I think all of us know what it's like to be faithless, hopeless. You know, not having any confidence in what's going to turn out. So today, I want to talk about two points. It's about hope. I want to talk about hope today and hope tomorrow. So those are really my two points that I want to talk about. We'll start off here in Titus chapter one. So it says, you know, Paul. 
a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, a faith and knowledge resting on the hope of eternal life, which God, who does not lie, promised before the beginning of time. If you're taking notes, you might also want to look at Titus 2.11, Titus 3. There's a lot of, it's great about hope in there. But we'll focus on Titus 1 for right now. So Paul is an apostle who helped build the faith of God's elect. When you think about you know, faith, we know from Hebrews 11 as being certain of what you hope for, certain of what you cannot see. Oh, I should look there. You know what I'm talking about. It's a heartfelt confidence, right? Faith is being sure of what you hope for, certain of what you do not see. You know, 1 Thessalonians says that faith is something you can observe. It says observe the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So you've seen faith. Good faith, you like, you follow it, right? You do it. Paul was helping build that kind of faith in the body, but he also was building, you know, a knowledge of the truth. You know, so, you know, elsewhere where he says to Timothy, watch your life and your doctrine closely, you know, it's a common theme. He's building the faith, the belief, the heartfelt confidence, and the knowledge that goes together with it, you know, and those both rest together on eternal life on this hope of eternal life. Because, you know, in 1 Corinthians, Paul said that if only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are to be pitied more than all men. You know, Christianity, following Jesus, is not a good way of life. You know, maybe contrary to popular philosophers, like, oh yeah, following Jesus makes your life better. That's not what Paul said. Paul said if we, we, if we have this hope in Christ and we follow him and it's not true, we, we're pitiful. I tried to find a meme or a slide for pitiful. I couldn't find one. They're all very pitiful, let's put it that way. But you know, the thought is that Paul's saying that we're building both our faith and our knowledge, our, our understanding of God. They all come together. They rest on this hope, the hope that we have of eternal life. You know, our faith and our knowledge that we have today is dependent on tomorrow, on our eternal life, on the promise of eternal life. You know, so... So reading in Romans chapter 4, it says, Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. Just as it has been said to him, so shall your offspring be. Without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead, since he had, was about a hundred years old. Anybody here a hundred years old? Sometimes you feel like it, maybe. Um, And that Sarah's womb was also dead. I think she was about 90 at the time. Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. So God had promised that they would have children. You know, you think you have bad news. How about being 90 and finding out you're pregnant? <laughs> wow. I mean, it's rough enough to be 25 and find out your wife's pregnant or to find out you're pregnant. I can't imagine if you were 190 and to find that out. It's going to be a little tough around the Abraham household, right? You know, challenge. But, you know, God was faithful. You know, this life is a test, the life we live in. It's a challenge. You know, as you follow Abraham through, you know, he was striving to do what God wanted to do. We're striving to do what God wants us to do. You know, we're trying to find our way through. And then here God comes through way late. I mean, come on, God. Couldn't you have let us have children when we were 30 or 40 or 50, 100? Are you serious, you know? You know, it was my resolution. My dad was 50 when I was born. 
I love my dad. He was great. He was a great. He was a grandfather of a father, and so I decided that you know one thing I would learn from my father. I wasn't having children when I was fifty, Lord willing, you know, that I was going to avoid that. And I had never really considered or pondered that I could have been a hundred and had children. You know, that would be interesting. You know, very interesting. You know, and and uh, as he goes on, he says, you know, faith is being certain of what you hope for in Hebrews eleven, right? Certain of of what you don't see. You know. We don't we don't do well even with things that are visible, like my Patriots example. You know, how about this example? So, like last last Saturday night, going into Sunday, I got home a little late, and Jeanette said, "You know what? It's supposed to be I don't know what do we keep our house at when I'm in control 62, when she's in control 70 or 68." It was neither of those. It was colder than that. I said, "Oh, you know what? The furnace isn't working like it's supposed to be." That's interesting. So you go down into the, you know, where the furnace is and you feel all the pipes. Oh, look, oh, they're all cold. Well, that's not good. That's bad, right? And so we, we built the fire and tried to keep the house warm overnight, you know, and in the morning got the, the guys out to come and fix it. And it turned out it was a problem with the gas regulator and it got fixed. And so our heat came back up. But, you know, I was pretty motivated because it wasn't bad that night. I think it was, I don't know, low 20s or something. But I knew this was coming. This says here that coming up... Uh, uh, at the end of this week on Thursday, it's going to be minus 8. On Friday night, it's going to be minus 14. I'm thinking, you know, minus 14, that's pretty chilly. That's cold. You know, when, you, when the weatherman gives you a forecast, you know, weatherman is one of the few jobs. It's a job I'd like to have. They don't have to tell the truth. They don't have to be right. They just can put up what they think, and we go, okay, we're going to go with that. You know, wouldn't, wouldn't you be crazy if you didn't listen to the weatherman? You know, what if you went, you know, you found out, Pat, that your kids have the windows open in their bedroom? You know, they might be okay when it's, you know, 30 outside. It would be very unokay when it's minus 18 outside, right? So you would be unwise to not go and check that window and make sure it's pulled down nice and sh- it's shut tight, right? You know, what about God? Doesn't God give you a plan? You know, God's not like a weatherman. God gives you a forecast. He tells you what's going to happen. He gives you a hope of eternal life. And he's always right. He never fails. Never lets you down. His forecast, his word, you know, Isaiah says, so that my word that goes out from my mouth, it will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Now, sometimes it's hard because, you know, it seems like God isn't making things go the way you want them to go. And, uh, like Abraham, you know, hey, look, you said I was going to have many children. Where are they? And God said, well, you're not 100 yet. You have to wait a little longer. You know, you can bet your life on God's word. In fact, I probably should rephrase that. You better bet your life on God's word. You better rely on it. You know, hope is why we do the things that we do. Coming from a deep conviction in God's word. Let's think about it for a minute. What are some things that hope drives us to do? Well, hope encourages us. Uh, to pray to God, right? To pray to God who gives us hope, hopefully every day. You know, hope drives us to learn and understand and be trained by the word that God spoke to us from the Bible that he gave us. You know, our hope of being like Jesus, of eternal life, drives us today to live like Jesus. It drives us to not give in to sin. We have a choice. Do I hope in God or do I give in to sin? When we do sin, it drives us to repent, to change. Say, you know what? I, you know, I want to repent now. You know, it drives us, it reminds us, our hope, that we are freely forgiven by God when we do repent. 
You know, it, it reminds us, hope drives us to be committed to one another. Hope drives us to daily deny ourselves. You know, hope drives us to tell other people about God. How he's changed us, how, how Jesus has had an impact in our lives. You know, hope drives us to take every thought obedient to Christ. You know, hope drives us to fight the good fight. You know, hope drives us, even when we do face death, that we can do it with confidence. You know, I really appreciated what Carl was sharing about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, about being in the prison when the bombs are falling, and he doesn't have to duck because he's not afraid of dying because he knows who he has hope in. He knows who he's relying on. And that really brings us to my second point, which is hope for tomorrow. Hope for eternity. You know, a few years ago, I, I was leading a Bible discussion group in my house. And we met every week. And it was, it was a very diverse group of Christians. You know, one of our members was a great uh, lady, older elderly woman, Elizabeth Brown. She lived actually very close to us, you know, a, a couple blocks away. And uh, Elizabeth was about, I think, about 95 years old. You know, I was, you know, in my probably 30s then. And so I... I didn't really have a good thumb, you know, meter of how old people were. Anybody over 30 was ancient <laughs> and near death, and anybody under 30 was young. So, so she was on that other extreme, you know. And she had this great recipe she would make with uh, lemon bars, lemon squares, and she would bring them to Bible talk. They were they were the rave of anybody that ate them, and uh, uh, she would never give out the recipe. <clears throat> Because that was her insurance policy, and that people would still invite her to come to bring her uh, her lemon squares, and, and it worked. You know, it was great. And so one night we were having a Bible discussion, and so as the uh, sort of the ice breaking question, I asked, you know, and not specifically Elizabeth, but everybody, I asked the question: you know, How many years do you think that you have until you die? That's a good question to think about, right? And for me, it was like, you know, I, I forget what I, how old I was. Let's say I was 30. My number was probably 40 or 50 years. I think I got 40 or 50 years to go. And I went around and various very optimistic, hopeful expectations of how long he had to live. And even Elizabeth, I, think, I can't remember if she said five years or ten years. You know, even she was optimistic about, yeah, at 95, how many more years uh, that she had to live. You know, I guess, you know, thinking of like Sarah, you know, you know, might have to live long enough to raise those kids, right? But, you know, so you see that I think the point there, though, is that no one thinks they're going to die until your time comes. No, one's ex- no one walks around in expectation of, of that happening. You know, and some people, some disciples, I, I think, I don't know if it's lucky, that's probably not a good word, but some people have no notice. You know, I think of a couple examples. You know, a good brother, a good friend of mine, Willie Markhart, this is going back a few years, but he is super enthusiastic. One of those guys you love to be around, energetic. You know, he was a great husband, you know, energetic father of a mixed family. And, you know, he was the goalie in our pickup hockey group, right? And if you ever played hockey, goalie is like something you, you, you have to have to play. And so, you know, you pay for them to play. He just loved it. He was playing as much hockey as he could, you know, to get out. He even, you know, occasionally rode a motorcycle. And so uh, a lot of things going from a lot of things to like. He had a little accident. <coughs> Sorry. He had an accident on his motorcycle and had to go to the hospital for a day or two. It didn't seem like anything, you know, urgent. And so they were transferring him over to like the rehab place to, you know, to sort of heal up. And he, he took a clot there and he died. Unexpected. Just, wow, you know, 
Never, never saw that one coming. You know, it was out of the blue. Another brother, you know, Peter Greenberg, again, a, a great faithful guy. You know, it, it was a, a, a great musician, great performer, a, a great father, a great uh, husband. You know, he was, he was outstanding at, as a high school counselor. And so he died in his sleep. Just totally unexpected. In his wake, I think over a thousand people came from the community that loved this guy. Because he had such an impact on people. No advance warning, you know. You know, his hope for tomorrow was defined by what he had today. You know, another brother who some of you might have known, Brad Bynum. You know, his, 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 uh, Brad was out for a run, I think, four, four or five years ago now. He preached on a Sunday morning like today, went out for a run. He's in Florida, so it made more sense, right, than be for a run here today. Had a heart attack and died. Just wasn't expecting it. You know, sometimes that checkbox comes with no notice. And I think maybe that's, that could be easier. You know, it certainly calls us to be prepared for that day to come. But, you know, there's others who, uh, who uh, have to face death face to face. You know, I think of another brother. <coughs> it comes to mind, you know, I'm not trying to make this a, a grieving session here. But just as an example to sort of drive in. You know, Bob was a great brother. Uh, his, his wife actually just passed away this about a week ago, which is what reminded me. But about four years ago, you know, Bob passed. And he had been for a while. He grew up in the cotton fields of North Carolina. You know, he had ended up migrating up to Boston. He was a delivery truck driver for many years before he, he was a disciple. He smoked like a chimney. And so he had emphysema, you know, I guess COPD you'd call it now is the, is the, is the more modern term. And, you know, he was on an oxygen tank later on. But the thing about, I loved about Bob before he got sick is that he was so faithful to, to God. He, you know, never complained. You know, they, they had three kids, great hospitality. Great, but he always just challenging it as encouragement. You know, when you talk to him, he really was all about encouraging you, thinking about, you know, how great God was. You know, and, you know, as his, uh, as his disease got worse, he went to hospice. And they couldn't keep him there. They basically had to send him home. You know, because I guess God intervened, decided he needed a little more time around the family before it was all over. Yeah, but the thing that challenged me is that Bob wasn't afraid of dying. Because like, like Carl was saying about Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he wasn't afraid about the bombs coming in because he knew who he had trusted. You know, he, God was faithful even in the midst of being really sick and having emphysema. He was encouraging other brothers and other sisters, encouraging his grown kids to, be, you know, to seek God, and, you know, really loving on people. And because of that, he was able to impact his kids, his wife, impact me, you know, have an impact on me before he died. You know, he, he went away not in afraid of death, but in hope, hopeful expectation of what God was going to do. You know, another example um, is a brother, Ron Slade. Some of you might know Ron, but Ron was a few years older than me. And back around 2010, you know, he, he got cancer. You know, as some of us get, had to go get treated. But he had a bad turn. He went into a hospital to get treated, and he, he got hepatitis C while he was in the hospital which made it hard to treat his cancer, <clears throat> made it hard to treat his hepatitis C at the, t- at the time. And so it, it got so bad that his, uh, his liver got weak, and so they decided it needed a transplant. But you know what? You can't get a transplant if you have cancer. So it's like catch-22. You know, he didn't ask for cancer or the hepatitis C. <clears throat> but, you know, through all of it, he was faithful, optimistic, encouraging. 
You know, I, had, I sat down and helped him figure out how am I going to go on disability and take care of my family with my two sort of middle school kids and my wife, my house. I thought I was going to have a lot more time to sort of deal with this, you know. And we, we got a chance to talk through some of those things and he ended up having to go back in the hospital and he, he got the liver transplant. It was awesome. And, it, you know, it was amazing. He, his color changed. He was hopeful. He, he had, you know, he wasn't yellow anymore. He thought it was going to work out okay, but you know, it didn't. And uh, he ended up he ended up passing away from, from uh, the liver disease. You know, but, you know, think about it. Ron had a big impact on me because in the same way, his head was up. You know, you know, he was certainly fighting the disease and working hard to get healthy because he really wanted to be there for his family. But he wasn't afraid of what laid ahead. You know, I think that's the challenge for me. I think it's, it's easy when I look back that when I was young, I didn't think about it. People just don't die. They live forever, right? And as you get older, you start, some people die. And uh, even some disciples die. And it reminds me that I need to think like, like Jesus thinks. You know, when you think about how Jesus perceived it, you know, he went through the same kind of suffering that these brothers did, you know, more so. But he was not, he was thinking about his final destination. You know, he wasn't, you know, we're not just following in the footsteps of Jesus, although we are doing that, right? We've signed up for the final destination. We're going to the same place. We're going to go through the same uh, troubles, the same perseverance, and the same hope that Jesus had. You know, we're following him because it's building in us a character that allows us to help others, allows us to make it through the, the suffering. You know, so when you look at... All right, let's take a breath. Can be encouraged. We're going to get some more encouraging stuff. Now, so here in Romans, and I was very encouraged because uh, Carl was reading from the end of Romans 5, and I'm using the beginning of Romans 5, so it worked out perfect, you know. And it says here in this verse, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, justified had sinned, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope of of glory, you know, So my friends Ron and Bob and all the others, they rejoiced in their hope of the glory of God in the face of death. You know, they knew that they were close to death, but they knew they were ready. They rejoiced in the anticipation of the glory of God. But you know, there's something about this verse that the NIV misses a little bit. Some of the other English translations uh, don't say rejoice, they say boasting boasting and, and almost it's this anticipation of boasting you know it's the anticipation that a, a groom has when he's at the altar and the bride is about to come in you know we haven't been there Kyle but your day is coming in a few <laughs> short days you know in fact I know Giovanni hasn't been there yet his day is coming with Nicole in a few more days a couple more months right that's in the future so in order to sort of give you this idea in your head I had to go and look for some, just from stock photos of the most beautiful brides, right? And so I, I found some <laughs> of the most beautiful bride uh, in my mind. You know, sorry, you guys. You know, I'm sure you'll be great, but uh, this is my beautiful bride. And, you know, think about, as you're thinking about boasting in anticipation about the joy, you know, I, I find it easy to boast about my bride because it's, it's, it's joyful, it's happy, it's exciting. That's the moment that you're thinking about, you know, with anticipation of the glory of God. You know, in fact, I was really stunned. I'm not a big fan of the Message Bible, but in some places it, it pays out well. So let's read this. It says in verse 2 of Romans 5, And that's not all. We throw open the doors to God 
and discover at the same moment that He's already thrown open His doors to us. We find ourselves standing where we always hoped we might stand, out in the wide open spaces of God's grace and glory, standing tall and shouting our praise. I guess it's the Vermont version of the Bible here, right? <laughs> We're outside in God's glory and grace and He's opened His doors to us and we to Him and we're standing tall and boasting and rejoicing about the anticipation of the glory of God. Just like we would, in an earthly sense, rejoice in our bride, the same way we rejoice in the anticipation, the expectation of being with God and His glory. It's amazing. It's incredible. It really is something to look forward to. It makes death itself pale and seem like nothing by comparison. And as he goes on in Romans 5, he says, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Wait a minute. How do we get back to sufferings? Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character hope. Wait, there's that word, hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Rejoicing and suffering, you know, I think by, I want to say, why? I don't want to suffer. I want to avoid suffering. You know, I don't, I don't like going to the gym. You know, I, I went out the other day with Kyle and Giovanni and they, they, they suffer, you know, and they, that's why they have big muscles and I don't, you know. I suffered a little bit with them and I said, I'll just go run because that doesn't make me suffer at all. You know, I, if I wish, if I could, I, I want to find the life hack. What's the life hack I can do so I don't have to work hard at the gym? You know, what's the life hack that I have to do so I don't have to learn perseverance? How do I get? How do I avoid having to go through suffering? How do I avoid going through perseverance? You know, I want character. I want to have a good character. I want to be strong. That way, I want, I want it the easy way. You know, I want that easy way to get to hope. But you know what the scripture says is those things. Hope is really worth it. You know, because at that point we have God's love in our heart. God is coming into us. God is building us up. God is completing us. You know, we are we're saved for hope. As you continue on here in Romans, it says, I consider our present sufferings not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. The creation waits in eager expectation for the sons of God to be revealed. The creation is waiting for you, the sons of God, to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the glorious freedom of the children of God. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await, as we wait eagerly for our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what he already has? But if we hope what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You know, the world's not our home. You know, we were called to put our hope in God, you know, not in success, not in wealth, nor in things of this world. You know, the world's not going to last. You know, it's something we want to get out of. It's like being on a sinking ship. You know, when the ship is sinking, time to get off, you know, anticipating that lifeboat arriving, that emergency escape coming, you know, Eagerly, patiently awaiting. You know, imagine 
for a minute, you know, it's cold, cold right? If you do that slide back up, it's going to be minus 17 this week. Imagine that you had all expenses paid trip to a tropical location. You know, not Florida, not Disney World. Let's talk a real one, like Fiji or somewhere. We're really awesome, you know. You know, we're going to go to uh, somewhere, you know, south of Australia. It's going to be incredible. You know, it's even better, you know, not only are you going to get the time off of work and you get paid for the month you're gone, they're going to pay all your expenses. They're going to take care of everything. You know, it's just going to be as much as you want. It's all taken care of, you know. You know, would you get excited about something like that? I would. I'm in. You know, let's do it. Um, you know, you, you tell people, you know, I'm going to go to Fiji. I'm going to Fiji. I'm going to Fiji. I'm going to Hawaii. You know, you know you'd have to go buy clothes. Because even if you had summer clothes, you know, they're Vermont summer clothes. You know, they're, you know, they're packed. I mean, nothing wrong with that. They're perfect for Vermont, but not for Fiji. And so you've got to have the right clothes to go. You know, you'd be investing in whatever it takes, you know, to be able to go there. You know, and the good news is that spiritually, we all are going to a, on a paradise vacation. And for much longer than a month, you know, for eternity. You know, that's, that's, you know, and I, and I, I don't build a great picture of a tropical vacation because I do like the sun. It is nice. And I probably have to get some sunscreen too, right? You know, and, and the right sunglasses. But anyways, you know, as you think about it, what God has prepared for us, the thing that we're going to boast in, what we're going to rejoice in is way better than that. It's way more exciting. It's way more joyful. It's worth all the suffering. It's worth whatever suffering. It's worth, you know, all the hard work, the perseverance that it takes to get there, to be able to build the hope that we want to have. You know, you think about it as disciples of Jesus, you know, what is, what's your hope built on? What's your hope for today? What is your hope for tomorrow? What's your eternal hope? You know, I still don't have the answer to that question. How many more years do I have before I die? I don't think any of us do. We don't have the answer to that question. But, you know, I have one answer that I know for sure is that my, my true hope, my eternal hope, like, like Paul said to Titus when we first started, he said, my hope is built, my knowledge and my faith is built on the hope of Jesus and eternal life. I pray that you'll have an awesome, hopeful new year. Amen. Amen.